Friends, good seeing you all. Actually, I don't see any of you this morning, but uh, you do see me, and here I is, sitting right in front of you, microphone ready to roll. Uh, Looks like the technology is agreeable today. We're in the book of Jude, and uh, this is our third morning in the book of Jude, uh, and probably going to take today, tomorrow, and Friday to finish working our way through the book, I think. Um, that's at least kind of my goal. As a reminder, I will not be broadcasting next week. I'm going to be in uh, Montana for uh, a group that I'm a part of called Ancient Path Disciple Making and uh, with some other pastors from all around the country, about 15 of us, I think, and uh, uh, meeting, discussing how to coach churches and pastors uh, to be 
more focused and effective at disciple making. It's something we're trying to make sure we're doing more of here as well. Had a very good elders meeting last night, uh, and the part of the topic of discussion is what makes a healthy church. Now, it, that's not to say that we're healthy, but what it is to say is that we are discussing the things that makes a church healthy. Uh, and you could give any number of thoughts you might have, but you know, I particularly discouraged a few of us pastors anyway, in, in some measure, and uh, just to think through what makes a healthy church. And those are the things that we're trying to go after, trying to push forward with. And um, uh, our focus, it's encouraging just to think about what we're trying to, trying to accomplish and trying to help us get to. And uh, so very, very encouraging. Uh, it isn't about the, the numeric necessarily. It is about the qualitative at this juncture in time. And, um, it isn't about necessarily do people feel something. It's more about are we doing the things that God has called us to do. That That is the issue because sometimes you do the things that God calls you to do. It doesn't feel comfortable. Uh, sometimes you do the things that God calls you to do. It, it feels sacrificial. Sometimes you do the things that God has called you to do. It, it feels it can feel discouraging when you look around at different uh, metrics that are out there. But the key question is, what is God's metric? What does he measure? And, uh, you know, one of the elders said, I, I have been more encouraged to love God uh, in, in the last year or two than, than I've probably ever been in my life. And uh, and I thought, well, that's a good thing that, that you're being encouraged. And he said, no, you're you're just encouraging us to to love God. And you know, I heard a lot of things about behave this way, behave that way, but when I'm learning, to, and he said, when I'm learning to love God, everything else falls into place. So, folks, that, that's our goal. The first and greatest commandment is that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that that is rather consuming to think about loving God in that type of a measure. And uh, so hopefully you are being stimulated and stirred to to love God. I've had people tell me uh, that they've learned more. They've been a part of our church the last two or three years. They've learned more in, in, in the last two or three years than they've learned through a whole history of their entire life in church. And uh, so folks, just to encourage you, if you need encouragement, I'm maybe saying this uh, for self-fortification. Uh, good things are happening and uh, we, we need to just be reminded of those things. The, the key is if we want to be surrendered to God. If we want to be surrendered to God and do things God's way uh, and focus on the things that God wants us to focus on uh, in our own personal lives, then we'll be where we need to be. Oftentimes it's like, well, I want just enough of Jesus to get me to heaven. Well, I'll tell you, just enough of Jesus to get you to heaven is enough of Jesus to make you miserable. Uh, it needs to be full out, wholesale, sell out to Jesus uh, if if you really want to experience the peace uh, and the comfort and the strength and the love that that Christ needs to have, and uh, just I just throw that out there. So, wanting to encourage you in your own life to love God, and and those of you that listen again, it's like preaching to the choir. Said that phrase yesterday. In fact, I want to clarify something. Someone uh, messaged me yesterday and said uh, they kind of put it this way. Um, could you clarify what you meant? It's not quite what they said, but could you clarify what you meant by, you know, if, if one gives 
if one spends more on entertainment than they do on, you know, their, their giving, then something's out of priority. And they asked me to clarify that. And I, I, I'll clarify that for you this morning. What I meant is there are people who spend more money on their Netflix subscription than they do uh, in the offering plate and uh, giving their their portion to the body of Christ, to the work of Christ in the local church. And that's that's true around, probably around everywhere, at least in America, maybe in the West, um, where, where that is true. And, you know, I they might complain about, you know, spending uh, $25, $30 for a movie, a popcorn, and a couple drinks. Uh, but, you know, squeeze $2 out of them in the offering, uh, and that's... You know, that's just insulting. Well, wait a minute. That, that's the type of thing I'm talking about uh, when I say that type of thing. We are called to treasure the kingdom. And, you know, where our treasure is there, our heart will be also. In fact, where our treasure is there, Martin Luther said this, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit. He said, God doesn't have a man's heart until he has his pocketbook. Uh, and, of course, he was German, so I don't know how you would say that in German, but that's kind of the English translation of it. Uh, and uh, now I forget how I was going to paraphrase it, but but I mean that that's that's what I was getting to yesterday. Just wanted to clarify that. Someone asked me for a clarification, and uh, and again preaching the choir because so many of you that I see your names here in the um, in the list uh, of the comments that are the uh, live listeners. You uh, uh, you guys go above and beyond uh, most of you in in ways that you can. And, and again, it, it should be in proportion to our faith. It needs to be in proportion to our joy. Uh, it needs to be in proportion to our resources. You know, uh, God is not asking you to not eat uh, because you you chose to give. Um, some of us would choose, I'm going to give and trust God for the eating because of Matthew chapter 6 about, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, food, clothes, shelter will be provided to you. So, that's where I was going yesterday, choir, when I made that comment, want to clarify, and I'm thankful for that friend that that asked the question uh, and put it that way and wanted just to clarify uh, that for you. That's what I'm talking about. Not talking about giving. I, I, I know people in the first church I was a part of uh, that, uh, I mean, I was a young Christian, and, and so they were kind of discipling me, speaking into my life, and and they they had the conviction that they would not have a a, a single payment, uh, like a, a one single bill larger than their monthly giving. That, that was their conviction. So, you know, when it came time for the mortgage, uh, they said, "Well, if our mortgage is going to be more than our giving, then we need a smaller mortgage. We need a different house. We need a." And so that was that was their conviction, and that's uh, tough in our day. In many ways, especially mortgage prices being where they are, but I, I just put that out there is some things to allow them to roll around in your heart and say, "How much do I love Christ? How much do I love the kingdom? How much do I trust Christ? How much do I trust in in His provision and care for me?" All those things. In fact, that's one of the indicators. We we talked about some of the healthy indicators uh, last night. In fact, I'll put these up for you uh, on the screen. Uh, so you can see them. I'll just scroll down through rather quickly. This comes out of my uh, heritage, the Evangelical Free Church, things that we would help churches to evaluate, centrality of God's word. I, I, I think that we do reasonably well at that one. Um, 
you know, it says we're committed to a proclamation and teaching of God's word is clear, theologically sound, communicated in a relevant, practical way. The end of our proclamation is people who are eager and able to please God by applying his word to every area of life uh, in ways both appropriate to the cultural context as well as the biblical counterculture. Passionate spirituality was the second one. You know, just I, I'm going to go through these quickly because this might be something we'll come back to another time. Fruitful evangelism. I mean, that, that's an area to, well, look at passionate spirituality. Are we, how are we passionate to, in our spirituality? What's our spiritual life like? Fruitful evangelism. What can we do to, to stoke the fires of fruitfulness in evangelism? Uh, spirit-filled worship. Uh, inspiring worship glorifies God, engages the hearts, minds, emotions of people. Uh, the people of God of people with God must be a trait of our community uh, worship. We are committed to meeting the worship needs of various generations and subcultures attending our churches. Healthy churches are characterized by a spear of joy expressed in worship and regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper. Great commission driven, uh, a clear sense of God's mission, a compelling uh, vision for the future that's communicated clearly and owned by the members. This is one we have to work on. How much do we own what we are about Leadership multiplication, uh, you know, leading, uh, developing more leaders, multiplying more leaders. Church planting is one of the indicators. Stewardship of resources. Healthy churches demonstrate faithful stewardship and investment of all the resources God has entrusted to them. This begins by a church meeting its own needs and overflows to advance God's kingdom and meet the needs of others. Stewardship education must be emphasized. Our pastors must address the issue of time, money, skills, possession in a biblical, relevant, practical way. Our congregations must adopt God's heart for those who are hungry, hopeless, and hurting in their allocation of resources. So those things. Intentional disciple-making. I mean, that's why we're pushing hard on the um, Walk Like Jesus study for this fall. Loving relationships. That's another. Those are just some of the things that we talked about last night. I put them out there. For, for your consideration, for you to think about and for you to measure and go, hmm, okay, how do I do? How do we do as a church? That's all uh, commercial uh, advertisement this morning. Uh, I need to get us over into the book of uh, Jude. So let me get us over to the book of Jude. I just wanted to give that clarifier to you. Book of Jude. I'll start at verse 1 again. This is some rehash down through Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The idea we talked about yesterday uh, that we need to contend for the faith. He he wanted to write and talk about the, the wonders of being saved, and yet he said, I, I don't feel like I can go there. The reason I don't feel like I can go there is because of this false teaching that is there. And in our day, we... Uh, there's there's plenty of false teaching out there, uh, and you know we had some conversation last night again among the elders about you know who who do we partner with in ministry, uh, and, and you know what do we do with, with churches that that we would perceive? And I'm not talking 
minor issues. I, I'm not talking like, okay, um, you know, do they, and I, I'm calling this minor, do they maybe occasionally have people in the church maybe who speak in tongues? I'm not talking that. I, I'm talking where there are things that, that are the forefront of their ministry that really the Bible doesn't speak about, doesn't teach about, or if it does teach about, they they are out of order with. That, those are the types of things or people who teach a prosperity gospel or or other things. I mean, we had that conversation. We want to partner together with with others, but we also understand the necessity of, as Paul says, to contend for the faith, and that we say once for all entrusted to the saints. Uh, we believe that the the message of that the word of God is is given us once for all. We 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 believe our focus should be on. And I heard Charles Swindoll uh, this past week as I was going somewhere and I was listening to his teaching on Jude uh, and he talked about, you know, the, the fact that we do not need to, God does not give us new uh, salvific revelation. God does not give us uh, new doctrinal revelation. Uh, God might give us insight into his will in that sense, revealing things to us. Otherwise, why pray? In other words, why say, God, what is your will for my work? And if God doesn't reveal things to us, if God doesn't show us his will, if God doesn't make the path clear to us, then why pray for God to make his will known to us? So in that sense, there is that that new revelation of direction in the application of God's will to our life. But the faith once for all, the character of God is unchanging. The the redeeming work of Christ is unchanging. The the uh, content of Scripture is unchanging. In that sense, there is no new revelation. There is no new teaching in that way. However, and I do agree with Swindoll on this point, uh, that, that there is the revelation in the sense of God's direction in our lives or God God's promptings, the wooings of the Spirit in our lives. Otherwise, how can we... How can we um, either quench uh, the spirit when he is trying to prompt us or how can we grieve the spirit if there's not the sense of the spirit's promptings to do things or to not do other things i mean in that sense we we have that that revealing work of god we believe our focus should be on scripture uh and, and not always looking for some new you know some new god speaking in some new way other than God prompting us with, this is how you need to apply my word. This is what you need to do with my word. This is what I'm asking you to do today and in the sense of maybe promptings to give someone a phone call. Is that the Holy Spirit? You know, That is, in, in a sense, a revelation. Uh, and I would just call it a prompting the Spirit. I was prompted by the Spirit to give you a phone call today. That's how I would probably put that if that makes sense to you. But Paul says to contend for the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. Do we contend uh, for it? Do we defend against uh, erroneous teaching? Um, I, I think that hand can be overplayed, and we start turning over every rock and listening to every word that everybody speaks uh, in, in, in an all-the-time judgmental type of way. 
I'm sure I speak erroneously. I don't mean to speak erroneously, but I'm sure that I probably do. And uh, uh, because I don't script what what I'm saying, uh, I, I want it to be driven down deeply into my being, down deeply into my soul that I would know it and uh, and it would flow out that way. And the Holy Spirit would be, bring to mind all the things I've studied and read and been taught and that he would remind in that way. But we contend for the faith. Some examples, uh, the character of God. Another example, the, the Trinity. Uh, we are Trinitarian. We we believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I think it is blatantly clear. There are those who, who do not believe in the Trinity. Uh, they believe it is a mechanism of Scripture to further define the one God, but but there isn't the three in one. Uh, we we reject that. We think it is clear from from the book of Genesis right on in through the book of Revelation that there are numerous places where we understand the Trinity. We believe in the virgin birth. There are some that reject that. Uh, we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are some who reject that. We believe in the coming wrath of God. There are some who reject that, that because God is a loving God, God will turn from his wrath and ultimately everyone will be saved regardless of how they've lived their lives because God is so merciful. Well, then if there is no standard, if there is no um, morality, if there is no right, if there is no wrong, then what good is mercy and what good is love? Um, it is it is the holiness of God is the standard of God that that uh, that helps us understand how absolutely overwhelming is the love of God because His holy standard demanded payment for sin. We couldn't pay for the sin. Christ paid for the sin on our behalf, and because Christ paid for the sin on our behalf, we have the opportunity to. Um, to embrace salvation, to know salvation, to know Christ, and to have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life for all eternity. That's truth. And, and Paul says here in the book of Jude that we are to contend for the faith once entrusted. So, you know, uh, just looking at some of the comments here uh, before I jump back over into the text. Uh, some some uh, somebody mentioning about uh, I grew up in a Pentecostal church now uh, and I like hymns better done with contemporary music because the old hymns are full of doctrine uh, and I need to learn more hymns and so you know and Claire you come to us from the Philippines so our Western hymns are a new thing for you um, our dear brother uh, Santiago Jacob he, he and I share that name for the record comes to us from the deep south, and uh, same way, our American hymns, our, our English hymns are new to him, but they are they are loaded up, and there is some new music that is loaded up, uh, and some of us would lean the direction of choosing music that focuses on God rather than my experiences, and God did this for me, and, and, and so testimonial uh, in nature uh, in that way, so... Um, and then so commenting on that that comment uh some people 
regularly mention false teachers. Um, there are some. Uh, my Here's been my experience along the way, answering the question that's in the comments. Should we mention the names of false teachers in our days so people know not to listen to them? It's interesting who you listen to uh, that, that are what I think in a biblical center uh, who would go one direction or the other and, and talk about false teachers. What I would rather do than name false teachers, I've done that in the past, and some people who are beginning to grow uh, in their faith and beginning to grow in their Bible knowledge then get thrown for a loop and don't know what to think. But what, what I think we should do is talk about some of the, the signs of false teaching that people need to be aware of as an example. Uh, a false teacher who never talks about sin, uh, who always talks about our mistakes and our faults and our failures, but never says we need to deal with sin in our lives, uh, that person is more than likely a false teacher. Uh, if most of the teaching is about how to make you feel better uh, and doesn't deal with the holiness of God and the character of God and, 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 and a, a teacher that always stays away from the coming wrath, most likely is a false teacher. Um, a false teacher who always goes to faith and the promise of God's provision. Uh, if you apply your faith, most likely a false teacher. Um, because I believe Paul applied his faith and yet he speaks in Philippians 4 about being in need and being in want and being naked and not having food and not having clothing. Trust me, I believe that he was following after Christ uh, fully. And so, I mean, those are some of the teachings that I think that we need to be aware of. There's lots of teaching out there. And I I, I struggle with this a little bit in that um, I think that there is some helpful stuff out there we can learn that, that kind of deals with how we deal with self. Um, I, I would call it, more psychological in nature than spiritual in nature that does help us to understand ourselves and things that we need to get our heads around so that we can be the the followers of Christ that we're supposed to be. But if that's all that they offer, um, it, it, it might it just might be false teaching. And you know to, to give thought to the question, okay, what what are identifying features of false teachers and to learn, some of those identifying features. Here, here are a couple things. One is we will talk about the prosperity gospel. Uh, if they're always talking about wealth, if they're always talking about health all the time, uh, most likely a false teacher uh, because much less of the Bible speaks about health and wealth uh, than it does lots of other issues. And when that is the steady diet every week, uh, most likely a false teacher. I, I, I would love to be wealthy. I, I've told the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I love to give as well. Lord, if you would make me wealthy and, you know, I, I could do these things or God, if you would, you know, uh, drop a house out of heaven uh, into my lap, I'd take it. And uh, um, I've told the Lord that, but that doesn't seem how the Lord wants to work with me and do those things. So I take life for what it is. And uh, apply ourselves uh, to to what it is that we are called to do. So that's how I answer that question uh, about going after some 
But there are a number of false teachers in our day, what we would probably consider as false teachers because it's about money, it's about wealth, it's about, in fact, if if they have multi-million dollar mansions uh, and they're always asking people to send their $10 uh, and they have, that's why, that's why I choose most often as an example, I'll share, I'll share this, this example with you. I had a friend, his name escapes me at the moment. Uh, uh, I can see his face, but he was really good at getting uh, like Mercedes Benz. He was kind of like a, a Mercedes, he was from the Philippines. And uh, I can see his house. I can see his wife. I cannot think of their names right now. Uh, this is when we lived in D.C. He wanted to give me or, you know, get me for like two or three thousand dollars. This really nice Mercedes Benz. But I said, no, I, I just would feel weird having a, Mar- a really nice Mercedes Benz sitting in my driveway as the pastor of the church. Uh, when I'm asking people to to give sacrificially to the Lord, and I'm not saying people shouldn't drive Mercedes, I would love to drive a Mercedes or a uh, a BMW um, or something like that. Uh, and frankly, I, I can't afford I can't afford large car payments anyway. But if I could, what would I choose? Would I choose to to you know choose that 2014 Jeep? I Told people, that's a brand new 2014 Jeep Grand Cherokee with 80,000 miles on it. That was my last new car. Now, if you're in a place, you're not a pastor. So if I want you to not read into this. If you're in some other line of work or business, people aren't looking. You're not asking people to give money to to the church. I do. Uh, And uh, you're not asking people to um, be sacrificial. I do. And so it would seem to me to be um, uh, inconsistent. I, I'll use that word. Uh, if I were to have this this really, really, really nice house, you know, Wendy and I have look, looked at houses. We've kind of determined this is our price range. This is what we can afford. And uh, so we probably should go for um because it's in our price range and uh, things that we really like tend to be three north of 300, 350. In fact, until more recently, you know, most of those houses were four, 450, you know, we need to think about the fact that we ask people to give and to support us in, in what we do. And again, if you're watching somebody, listening to somebody, and they have uh, several multi-million-dollar homes, and and they drive the nicest of cars and whatnot, it might be an indicator. Just saying, uh, I, I I do not buy into the God wants everybody to be rich. He wants everybody to be rich in Christ. He wants everybody to be rich in spirit. Uh, he wants everybody to be rich in uh, in uh, in generosity. Uh, he wants everybody to be rich in grace and compassion, but not necessarily material wealth. And uh, now some would go back to the book of Malachi and talk about chapter 3 and God promises to open up the store gates of heaven. You know how many times I've preached that passage? You can go look at it, uh, book of Malachi, chapter 3. And if we're faithful with our giving, God will bless us. I, I We've tried to be faithful and, uh, you know, God has been good to us. God has been gracious to us. And 
but never to the tune of, well, here's a new car, or never to the tune of, well, here's, you know, here's just what you have always wanted for a house, or never a new tractor or something like that. If God offered it, certainly we would be you know, grateful and acknowledge it's a gift of God. False teaching. All this comes out of the question about false teachers and false teaching. We are to contend for the faith. Um, let me read a little bit more here in the passage so you can see what it says. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith once that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Now notice, this is Jude writing, and he doesn't name the men. The question was asked, well, it seemed like Paul named the men. I, I think that we could name the men, uh, although I've had a negative experience of, of watching some people who were starting to catch on and then get thrown a curveball, and, and they kind of lost their traction. So I'd rather give the, the things to look for. Certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Uh, now, he'll go on and he'll say, though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. He's going to get into some language here. He's going to get into some uh, wording here that that is... I think, needed in our day. Uh, if you noted the heading in this section, it was judgment on false teachers. There is a judgment that will come upon um, upon the world, and we need to understand that, that that condemnation will come upon godless men. That condemnation will come up, uh, and notice it says, those who secretly slipped in among you. I heard the story the other day of... Uh, these four kids that were swimming in a reservoir in, I think it was in Texas. And, uh, you know, they were having a great old time till one of them noticed under the water, uh, kind of lurking beneath them that had not been there before, a water moccasin. Well, needless to say, those kids got out of that water rather quickly. That snake had not been there. They had played there for probably a few hours, and all of a sudden there's this water moccasin that, that had slipped in. And this is what Paul is talking about, about those who will slip in among you, uh, who want to change the grace of God. And he talks about changing the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Uh, th these godless men would say, well, and this is exactly where we are in culture right now, we are exactly in the place where godless men have slipped within the church. Christendom, I'll, I'll, I'll use that word in that way, uh, and, and will say things where your sins don't matter. Christ died, he covered all that, and he just wants you to find yourself. He wants you to be comfortable with yourself. He, he wants you to be who you are. Well, when I look at who I was, I needed a complete wholesale change of who I was to be acceptable to God. And yet the false teachers in our day that have slipped into Christendom with this, what we would call progressive Christian teaching that, that God doesn't care about our sexuality, I will tell you, they have slipped in. They are wrong. They, they have changed the grace of God into a license for immorality. 
uh, even to the point of denying Christ and denying the Word of God. Yes, they'll handle the Bible as an inspirational book or as a book on general guidance or general spirituality, but as to the specifics, we don't we don't believe it word for word verbatim as it is. That That's what they would say to you. We think people who think that way are actually somewhat deluded and, uh, you know, probably unintelligent people. Well, you know, I, I run in circles with some rather intelligent people, uh, more so than I ever have before in my life, highly trained, highly educated people uh, who would question those who question and would say, wait a minute, um, you seem like you have a rather light uh uh, understanding of how to work with uh, the English language or, or with j- languages in general and how to interpret things. And uh, so all of these things, we are called to contend for the faith. And uh, again, in our meeting last night with our elders, it was it was a conversation of, uh, you know, what for what do we need to contend and to make sure that we're on target, lifting up Christ, working for the glory of God, uh, pushing believers out of comfort zones into greater growth in Christ, uh, pushing us to be people who uh, are used evangelistically, not only in large events, but also having people at our dining room table, those types of things. So uh, anyway, friends, uh, it is already uh, well past my quitting time for today here on this broadcast. Uh, We got down into verse 4. This does tell us that we are likely going to be a few more days here in the book of Jude. Um, There aren't that many verses actually in the book of Jude, Uh, only only 25 verses. So uh, we'll pick it up again tomorrow and uh, continue on our journey. Lord, help us today to uh, in the struggle that we have the struggle of uh, overcoming sin, uh, the struggle against culture, uh, as culture and its mores goes against the teaching of Scripture more and more and more so. Uh, even what I heard coming out of the school board meeting from uh, from Belfast this past week uh, and the, the teaching and the pronouns and all that that have to be applied. Uh, Lord, we are in a bad place in our country. We're in a bad place in our world uh, we are asking for judgment uh, in the way that we live. Lord, help those of us that know Christ to to hold out the message of Christ to the world around us, the need of Christ, the, the coming judgment, um, whether it is the judgment at the time of death or the judgment at the great white throne at the very end of time um, or the judgment that comes upon our world even now. Lord, we need you. Uh, we, we need the work of the Spirit in our country. We need the work of the Spirit in, in the church, that the church would be the bastion of Christian living life and thought. Oh, Lord, help us to live for you, even today, for the glory of Jesus. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Have a great day, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow.